Hello there. Going through a divorce? Considering one? Sorry to hear that. But here you are. Welcome to Splitsville. You'll find Splitsville to be a pretty unique place. A new world, really, with its own rules, its own expectations, and in many ways, its own language. But don't worry. You have a knowledgeable guide along the way. A family law attorney with three decades of experience under her belt. And now, here she is. Your host and guide, Lee Sellers. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Welcome to Splitsville. I'm your host and guide, Lee Sellers, founder of Touchstone Family Law. And in this episode, I'll be answering another question that many newcomers to Splitsville have. How am I going to buy a house? So let's dive in. So we're back today with Diane McDermott of McDermott Real Estate, who has been here before and talked about being emotionally and financially ready to purchase a home. And uh, today she's literally going to go through the nuts and bolts of what you should expect from the moment that you find that you're now ready and you have your team together, what is going to happen as you go through this process to buy a home. And Diane, welcome back. Thank you, Lee. It's a pleasure to be back. Thank you for having me. Well, we talked about the last time that you are predominantly a buyer's agent. That's that's yes. your specialty or your niche in real estate. And we talked about the benefit of somebody actually making sure when they want to buy a home that they choose an agent who is predominantly a buyer's agent or that enjoys the home buying process, that process yes. right more than the selling or the listing. the sale of the house right the listing of the house so walk walk us through what someone would expect if they came to you and said hey okay i want you to help me find a house sure so when someone connects with me whatever pathway they find me the first step for me being so relationship oriented is okay great let's meet Let's get to, let's have a conversation. Let's get to know one another and really start figuring out, are we really a good fit? Does this really make sense? Not just for one of us, for both of us. It is like a marriage of sorts. It's a relationship to hire someone to represent you in any capacity, whether that's an attorney, a real estate broker, whatever the case is. So I really am I'm focused on, let's have a conversation. Let's get to know our personality styles. Do we click? Do we both have the same core values and things like that? Does it does it really make sense for us to have a, a working relationship going forward? And one of the first pieces of information that any buyer that connects with any real estate professional realtor in North Carolina should expect is to be shown and reviewed the Working with Real Estate Agents brochure that's put out by the North Carolina Real Estate Commission. And it's a con- consumer protection brochure to make sure that we as agents are explaining to consumers what their options are when it comes to working with a real estate broker. Because there are buyer's agents, there are seller's agents, and then the state allows something called dual agency, where there's one agent working for both buyer and seller. And so my first conversations with potential clients and connections are always, here are the options, here's what I allow and here's what I focus on, which of course is buyer agency. I do not allow my firm's policy is that dual agency is not allowed. I can't sacrifice loyalty. So it's just not an option. 
And so we're really going over what the loyalty that's involved and the looking out for the client's best interests, even above my own interests, and making sure we have clarity on that. And so if we decide mutually after our first meeting or so that we do want to work with one another, there is then what's called a buyer agency agreement that we would review and then both sign to actually formalize our partnership. So it's much like in the legal field. Yes. Because I know we believe a consultation is important to meet the person you want to represent you in your divorce. And then it also involves a representation agreement Mm -hmm. um, that outlines it. So I didn't realize it was so similar. And that's kind of sad if I don't remember actually (laughs) going through that step. But I did buy my last home in 1999. So the laws may have changed a little bit. It has changed actually even since 2004. So yes. Well, good to know. So once, what is going to be in your representation contract as the buyer's agent? What should they expect to see in there? There's going to be a solid start. We have to have a start date and an end date. Now, I usually, it depends on the buyer, but I mean, I'll make it anywhere from three to six months, the term of our agency agreement. It really just depends on what their plans are. But that can be adjusted if we need to later on, but there needs to be a definite start, a definite end point. But also, once you close on your home, the agency agreement evaporates. So you're not tied to me for life. We're not tied to one another for life. So there's a definite start and end period to our working relationship that ideally, obviously, term- terminates naturally when you close on the home that you're purchasing. Now, does it set forth how you'll be compensated? It does. So as buyer's agents, there typically is not a cost to my buyer clients for my services. Most any any home that's listed for sale on our multiple listing system includes an offer of buyer agent compensation. So that's where we look first for our compensation is to the listing firm. And listing agents know how hard buyers agents work, and they're usually happy to compensate for our services because they know that we're handling a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, both with and for our clients and moving the process along. So that's typically where a buyer's agent is going to get paid is from the listing firm, not from their buyer client directly. Now, is there exceptions to that? Like right now, we're in a very strong seller's market. So could you have the potential that the seller would be like, no, I'm not going to pay for your realtor. I'm just paying for mine. When there's a realtor involved, it's it's not common for that to happen. That's more common to come up if it's, say, a for sale, an unrepresented seller situation. Um, which my buyer would know if that were to come up, I have a duty to let my buyer know that that is the circumstance as soon as I'm aware of it so that they can decide, do they want to proceed with this or not? Because if, if a seller or a listing agent is not going to cover the cost of my services, then my buyer client would technically legally be on the hook, but they would be aware of that the moment that it becomes my knowledge that that's the case. But that's typically, that's not typical. It can happen, but it's not the norm. And um, what would be next after you, they've established both the agreed upon relationship and Mm -hmm. the legal relationship? (laughs) What's next? Then we all have um, even more in-depth discussions on your kind of home search criteria, because then what I can do is go into on the back end of our multiple listing system to set up what would be a customized for you home search. So yeah, beds and baths are important to have a minimum idea on that stuff too. But we want I want to be having conversations with clients that go beyond that. I want to get more into the what's most meaningful to you in a home. You know, is it are you more introverted at solitary time? Is it a place to recharge? Or are you an entertaining guru? I mean, you know, lifestyle type conversations that are helpful for me 
as I'm going through and evaluating any search results and that allows me to get to know better what really matters to the client. And so I can set up a custom search where you'll get automatic daily updates emailed directly to you so you can see any new listings, any price changes. You can see when things go under contract and when they may come back on the market. So you'll get really up-to-the-date information. And our multiple listing system is the best resource for that information. Zillow and Trulia are out to actually sell consumers' information to the highest bidder. And their content is just not, it's not fresh. And, you know, you bring up a good point because I know in the legal field, we certainly have a lot of people who are marketing to try to provide direct legal services to consumers, um, form-based situations. And I know I have also found the products to not not naturally meet the needs of the clients who are coming in to seeing me. But I have seen all of these ads for these various apps or or programs Mm -hmm. or online ones. And I was curious to see what the distinction was. And especially in this market right now, I'll get, and I know buyers are looking on Zillow and Trail, I get it. But, you know, I'll have clients send me a list of, you know, 10 properties and I'm like, half of them sold last year. The rest are under contract. I mean, it's literally, the information is so outdated and things are changing so quickly. Our multiple listing system is the hub. It's the center of, of our real estate market information wise. And so that's really the best, most direct source. So if there's an, I have an app um, that's available with one of my mortgage lenders. And that actually pulls directly from our multiple listing systems. So it's got a direct feed to that. But a lot of these ones that are advertised do not have that level of access. Is there an average amount of time that someone's going to spend um, searching for a home? It really depends. I've had clients where we connected and we found the house and they closed within two months of us deciding to work with one another. That's really quick more typical would be like a three to six month type window. But it depends on, you know, it depends on what area you're looking in. It depends on the type of home that that really is going to be the best fit for you as far as even seasonally, you know, our market kind of, we typically have the most amount of listings on the market into the spring months. But home sell, I've had closings happen December 31st. I mean, so home sell during the holidays too. So it just depends on What makes the most sense for you when you're ready, when the timing all kind of clicks into place? So let's assume your buyer found a house that they loved and they were hoping that they could purchase it. What Mm -hmm. should they expect to happen? Well, prior to actually making an offer, we need to have everything in line with your mortgage financing. So that goes beyond filling out some online form and getting pre-qualified. You've had conversations with your mortgage professional. They have your documentation. They've literally got everything that they need from you. And we're just waiting for the address, like once we find the house. And, you know, that is incredibly different from the experience that I had, like I said, in 1999. So I can imagine that this could be quite an education if you have a buyer who has not bought a home in a long time. Because you did not start applying for the financing until you actually had a property and they were being very specific about lending you money for that particular property. It is very much the other way around these days. And we can thank in large part to the the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 and all of the the mess that, that we kind of had to wade through with that. And so even for people who may have purchased a home previously, but they did it in, say, 2004 to 2007... Things were very, the landscape was totally different back then. And I've had buyers, again, as this normal kind of thing, 
they didn't ask me for any of this last time. What do they need? Like a DNA profile? Like, I mean, it literally can feel invasive Mm -hmm. for people, but the lending standards have tightened dramatically. And the amount of, oh, if you're you're a self-employed homebuyer, be prepared because they're going to need even more documentation from you. And that's why we talked about in the last episode when you were here, that financial readiness piece was you need to go ahead and establish that relationship um, early on um, before you even get your heart set on a property. Absolutely. I mean, know what they're going to need from you. And so you can start preparing for that. And then for anyone who is come either divorcing or on the other side of divorce, there are even additional considerations because your mortgage lender is going to need a copy of your separation agreement. They're going to need those legal documents, possibly your divorce judgment. I mean, your mortgage lender needs to be on the same page as far as what you're experiencing divorce-wise because that's going to create some additional documentation needs. So, you know, for me, this goes without saying, but for the general public, it doesn't. So if you are currently still legally married (laughs) and you wish to go house hunting and you do not have a domestic family law attorney, they should go see one one. and talk to one. (laughs) That's right, because the laws in North Carolina about homeownership and title and what you can do to convey your interest or purchase new new property, your marital status actually affects all of those things, doesn't it? It absolutely does. And I've seen it on both sides. I, I was the buyer's agent for a couple that were actually Florida real estate brokers. And the home they bought, the buyer's lender needed a copy of the seller's marriage license because the seller had been single when she bought the house, later got married, and the lender's going, who's the other name on the purchase contract? And the seller was furious. And I went I went to the public records and pulled it up myself and got the buyer's lender. They needed the seller's marital status documentation. So yes, it matters. Marital status matters when you're selling and when you're buying on. Yeah, well, that's a, a good extra step for them to take before they, they get their heart set mm-hmm. on that perfect house. So when they do decide that it's time to put down a contract and they do have their their work done, so they know they're pre-qualified mm-hmm. for a certain amount of a mortgage, what steps are they going to be going through with you? So that is another legal document. And the forms that we use are joint forms between the North Carolina Bar Association and the North Carolina um, Association of Realtors. So they're legal documents. And we as agents, they trust us just enough to fill in the blanks that keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's an extensive, I think it's now 14 pages long. It is, it's an extensive contract and it really details an offer and contract is not just about price. There are terms in there that detail the, the property details, any, um, refrigerator that's considered personal property. Doesn't any of that convey with the home details, due diligence dates, deposit what you're offering as earnest money and due diligence deposits. It details closing date. It details what the seller is representing, how long they've lived in the property, what the buyer is planning on getting for financing or if they're paying cash. It details literally every single term that realistically often comes up that would need to be addressed. Right. Well, it's a legal contract to buy a home. It absolutely. It is a legal process in North Carolina. All right. So they should expect to take some time and read it and understand and ask questions and and know that it's it's not a handshake deal, of course. It's not. And so when we back when we signed the buyer agency agreement, there are certain forms that we as agents are required to give sample forms of to our clients. And so they would have gotten a sample copy of the offer to purchase and contract. Now, I don't know if any of my clients have actually read every line, 
But I mean, as we go through filling out that paperwork, you know, we'll kind of touch on the ones that are kind of the key hot button points that are kind of the trickiest problem areas that could come up. And and don't ever tell a lawyer that you didn't read every line because (laughs) that's one of the things that drives us crazy. So they've put the contract in. Mm -hmm. uh, They've reached agreement on the terms that they can Mm -hmm. buy this house Mm -hmm. as long as they meet these markers. Can you just, what, sit back and wait? (laughs) There is a good amount of hurry up and wait from the contract to close process. So it's an official contract once everyone has signed, so no one's made any changes. Because counteroffering, typically we do go back and forth in negotiation, as with divorce settlements, um, I gather. So once we've got an agreed upon contract, the next step, the mortgage process, obviously we kept the mortgage pro in the loop on they're aware of what we found the property. Here's the details. So they're at the same point they kick into high gear. Our next steps are related to inspections. So during the due diligence period, which is kind of your, when you're evaluating, do I really want to proceed with purchasing this home? We're checking out the property condition. The appraisers, the appraisal will be ordered and be sent out the, by, that's handled by the lender. And so the mortgage process moves along and we do our inspections. We get a copy of the inspection summary. We, the client and I will review that. The inspection is not a list of what the seller must repair. It is an informational document for you to learn more about the reality of the condition of the home and the main systems in the home. And if there are things, certainly we can have another negotiation in due diligence if there are some things that you want addressed by the seller. And that would be an additional agreement called a due diligence agreement that we would complete at that point. And we need to get that done prior to the due diligence date. Because if you go beyond the due diligence date and don't have a due diligence agreement on anything that's important to you, the chances of them agreeing are kind of next to none beyond that date. Now, are there people that just don't do inspections? I have never encountered a client of mine that didn't do one. And it, it's a pretty important process. It's really understanding what is the condition of the home that you're buying. So you're, right. you're, you, you've had disclosures that the seller made yes. that they are required by law to make. But this is the things that may not have been something you could ascertain from walking through. Exactly. And the sellers, the state disclosures, honestly, they're a checklist. I mean, yeah, and you're relying on someone's someone else's knowledge and perspective. So mm-hmm. I personally would not be comfortable relying on that and not having a home inspection done. I mean, I've every home I bought, I've hired a home inspector. And, and who pays for the home inspector? That is a buyer expense. And most home inspectors these days do want that to be paid at the time of inspection. They're, and about what would you expect to pay for them? It's really based on the size and sometimes the age of the home. So it's based on square footage. I mean, it could be anywhere from 350 to five or six hundred, depend. It really depends on the size. And, and this would have been them. something you would have discussed with them. Yes. Well before. Yes. You know, it's not something sprung on them. No. All right. And um, let's say that you get these are the the things that can happen that make it fall apart. So you can't reach an agreement as to who's going to pay for what repairs. Mm-hmm. It's basically okay. You're walking away and starting over. Yep. And what's on the line is the due diligence fee, whatever that Mm -hmm. dollar amount that was agreed upon in the contract. That's what you'll lose if you terminate within that due diligence period. And, you know, I tell clients, you've got to be willing to to lose that money, whatever that fee ends up being that we agree upon with the sellers. It's you got to be willing to lose it because that's on the line. That's gone no matter what. That that goes directly to the seller's pocket. They can spend it the next day they get it. Mm -hmm. So that's really what the buyer would lose. And we, that's why we need to be very aware of that due diligence date 
and that you are satisfied before we move beyond that date. Okay. Because the sellers had the property off off the market right. once it's under contract. So they've, they've well, they essentially it, not had right, yeah, showings. Technically, there is a, a category called under contract show. But as a buyer's agent, if I see something under contract, why am I wasting my time to go take you to look at it? Like mm-hmm. there's already a contract in place. Now, what about the appraisal? What happens if the appraisal doesn't come back favorably? So the, if the appraisal came in, say the, the, the contract price was $300,000 and the appraisal comes in at $280,000, there are a few options. So the buyer can choose to pay the difference, which is not an option I recommend because the lender is not going to lend more than the appraised value of the property. So the buyer could choose to pay the difference. Again, that's when I would op- actively discourage someone from pursuing. That's just throwing money away, in my opinion. The, we can adjust the terms of the contract because we do have an adjustment. We have forms that we can use if certain terms need to be changed once we've gotten a contract in place. So we can adjust the price to the appraised price and the sellers would need to agree to that. That's best case scenario. And those really are the, the two options. You you take it and you pay the difference. You pay the extra for it because you really want it. But the best case scenario would be for the sellers to be made aware. It becomes a material fact once an appraisal is received that has to be disclosed. Once an agent is aware of a material fact, we have a duty to disclose that. So ideally, the seller agrees to adjust the terms of the contract to the appraisal. Well, let's assume everything went well Mm -hmm. and the uh, repairs that the seller were willing to make were negotiated Mm -hmm. and the appraisal comes back properly. What's the next step? So in addition, typically when I order or when we're at the home inspections, we'll be working on selecting a closing attorney so they can go ahead and get the title work started and that process can start moving forward. And we are an attorney state in North Carolina. So typically it's a real estate attorney's office who's going to handle, coordinate the closing process. And they, they're it's really their paralegals are the ones who are in communication with both agents, the lender. And everything just, they're like the central point where everything kind of coalesces and comes together, um, which culminates in a closing meeting where you sign a ton of paperwork. Most of it's related to the mortgage. Um, and then it's not officially closed until it's recorded downtown at the Register of Deeds office. And that is when the property is officially transferred. All the funds have been collected by the attorney's office and their trust account. And then once the, the transfer, the deed transfer is recorded, you actually own and it's considered closed. Now, you talked about the, the title search. Mm-hmm. Um, what does the title search do? I mean, obviously, I know as, a, <laughs> as an attorney, but it's actually sort of an important step. Um, it goes back, and I'm not an expert on title search. I kind of know enough to be dangerous, but basically goes back through the property ownership and just make sure that there's nothing that is kind of cloudy or at issue in the the kind of the property history, that there's nothing like no forgotten liens or heirs or nobody could lay claim to it, that it really has been a clean transfer, that there's no kind of nobody could like claim to the property that you're not aware of. Right. So that when you own it, you 100% own own that property (laughs) and nobody else can come and try to say that Mm -hmm. they own a fifth of it or a tenth of it or, or that they had a lien that the prior owner was supposed to pay that was secured by that house. And therefore, because they have this lien, they can make you pay it or sell your house. 
Yeah, so I think people think that it's a hoop to jump through, but it's it's totally for the buyer's safety. It really is. I mean, you'll you'll typically you will your lender will order a title insurance policy, which ensures your interest in the property from the day that you close mm-hmm. and it's recorded. But still, it's nice to know that it's a clean title. You don't want something unforeseen coming six months later. You don't want to get a surprise like that. Mm-hmm. And I will listen to people sometimes talk about the bank wants this and the bank <laughs> wants this. And I always like to clarify, it's not usually the bank that's asking for these additional pieces of information. It's generally the title insurance company yeah. because they're the one on the hook if it's not clean title. And so a lot of times they will not issue a title insurance policy to the bank mm-hmm. unless they're happy with it. And the bank isn't going to lend the money if they can't get title insurance. Everything is related. Everything mm-hmm. kind of ties together. And, you know, and I could write a book about things I don't tell my buyers, you know, mm-hmm. because there's just, do they need to know that level of depth as far as what's mm-hmm. going on behind the scenes? No, not unless there's an issue, you know. But it's, they do need to understand it's going to take some time to do all of this. It is. And there's there's a lot of moving parts to the entire process. And everyone is kind of doing their part in the process with the goal, obviously, of coming together with a successful closing and transfer of the property. So is there an average range of the amount of time it takes between setting a contract for purchase and actually being closed on the, the property? Average, I would say 30 to 45 days, but mm-hmm. some of that does come back to, again, the lender, which it's, that's again, why it's so important for the lender piece and your mortgage readiness to be set up front before we go out and evaluate any properties. And the lender's timeline is going to obviously dictate how quickly we can go. Cause some lenders are outstanding. I mean, to the point where they could do it probably in under 30 days if we really needed them to. Um, so as long as your lender, has a streamlined process that they can get everything done. The mortgage piece is definitely the biggest and time how, hold up. How available does the buyer need to be to you to answer questions and <laughs> sign documents and, and meet with you during this process? I need to be able to get a hold of you. Um, I will not negotiate by a text. Like we can have a, a phone conversation in many cases. We don't need to be face to face for every single communication, but they, I need to be able to get to you uh, because there are going to be things that come up that either I need to inform you about or I need to get your feedback on. And so I need to be able to reach you. I don't need 20. I'm not accessible 24 seven, but I need you to get back to me. And I don't expect instant communication back from you, but within a few hours, especially when we're at time sensitive parts of the process, if we're up against due diligence and that's coming like tomorrow, you can't ghost and not, I can't not hear from you when we've got a big timing deadline coming up. Well, what would be your best advice to give a home buyer to make sure that they have a positive home buying experience? Pack a sense of humor. <laughs> it is a stressful process. There's a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of things that are going to feel very unfamiliar that may start having you question, is this normal? You know, and, and really lean on your team of professionals that you've chosen to surround yourself through this process. They, they will be able to listen when you need to vent. You can yell to me. You can't yell at me, but I know it's emotional. You know, I know there's going to be frustrations that come up and, and I'm willing to listen. And that's certainly a strength of mine. And so pack a sense of humor because things are going to come out of left field that you weren't expecting that look different than anything you've seen before. 
and really lean on your team of professionals. They will be there to really guide and support you. And there was something you said during um, the last time we met that I think probably stands bears repeating is you talked about trusting your gut. Absolutely. If it doesn't feel right, even if you cannot logically explain why, trust that. Because if it feels in any way heavy, this is one of my evaluation tools that I use in my life in general now. It, does it feel light or does it feel heavy? If it feels in the least bit heavy now, it's only going to get heavier as time goes on. So trust yourself. And would you suggest that they disregard the peanut gallery? You know, the process of buying a home is very much like the process of divorce. Everyone is going to have an opinion about what they think you should do. The only opinions that matters are yours. And that is true because this is a big commitment and it's an exciting commitment, but it is big, it's important, and it has some pretty long-reaching consequences on your life after you've made it. It does, but it is also an absolutely incredible opportunity, especially coming, moving beyond a divorce situation to really create what the foundation and your home base of the next chapter of your life is going to look like. And that can be, that truly can be very exciting because really it's all about what you want and what matters most to you. Right. Well, Diane, can you tell people where they can find you? So my website is cbbuyersagent.com. You can Google and find me probably uh, Googling Charlotte's Best Buyers Agent. And the website, again, is cbbuyersagent.com. Email is probably the fastest way to get a hold of me, which is my first initial D, my last name, McDermott, M-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T, charlotte at gmail.com. All right. And you also have written an ebook which goes through the steps and the various expectations that people should have when they're going into home buyership. And um, that can be found on your website as well. That is available. It's a free downloadable PDF resource on my website. It's called the Badass Chick's Guide to Home Buying. Certainly smart men might gather some wisdom from it too. And so certainly if that would be of assistance to anyone or of interest, feel free to check it out. All right. Well, thanks again for coming back. We really appreciate your time. This was so fun, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. So there you have it, another neighborhood of Splitsville explored. There's still so much to learn here, so I hope you'll tune in to the next episode. While Splitsville is not a fun place to be, thankfully it is full of helpful people, valuable resources, and sound advice, if you know where to look. See you next time. The insights and views presented in Welcome to Splitsville are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. Nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. If you're ready for compassionate and reliable legal guidance on your journey, contact Lee Sellers and her team at www.touchstonefamilylaw.com.